We're, we're in the book of Matthew, and as you know that Matthew is one of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, viewing Jesus' life on earth here from a different perspective, uh, Matthew has uh, told us that Jesus was baptized, he fulfilled all righteousness, was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, remember that? He was empowered by the Holy Spirit, immediately he went into the wilderness to be tested, Three times he resisted the tempter with saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. I'll go through this again in a few minutes. And then he starts his, his ministry. And he starts his ministry this week, and his first words is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I want you to think about this. Jesus had a ministry that changed the world and changed me. Me. All the me's in here. All the me's hearing this on Facebook. And welcome to you on Facebook, too. We're glad you're here. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 through 17. Why do we stand? Because we honor God when we stand to read His Word, the infallible, inerrant Word of the living God. Starting in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and, the, and of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the word of God. Good job. Please be seated and please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of us. Help our minds to be attentive, our ears to be open, our, our inner being just to be totally open to you. Teach us today what you want us to hear from this lesson. Guide us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And as I said, Jesus was baptized, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the Father's will. John 6.38 says this, For I have come down from heaven. Can you imagine the culture shock? I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. These are profound words, and I don't think we should just glaze over them. Jesus conducted in his life with a specific goal of pleasing Father, of pleasing Father. He pleased the Father by being baptized. By being, he was pleased the Father when the Holy Spirit came upon him. He pleased the Father when he was tempted in the wilderness. And he's pleasing the Father when he starts his ministry. Are you seeing a theme here? He was in the wilderness and he pleased his Father, being tempted of the devil three times. Folks, remember last week I told you, we, I believe, this whole existence is the wilderness. We know that there are exacerbations in the wilderness that occur. Those times we traditionally call the wilderness. But I suggest to you this whole journey is the wilderness because we're aliens and strangers. We're recon behind enemy lines. This world is not our home. We have a future that is much different than this. This, indeed, is the entire wilderness life. Now, Jesus was in the wilderness and it pleased the Father. And in the wilderness, you learn something. Life here, my life is not about me. My life is about serving Him. 
finding out his will for my life. So how does a Christian please the Father? Well, the only thing you can do to really please the Father is believe in the Son. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's it saying in, in uh, Acts 16, 31? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will be saved. But also, you believe in the Son and you become more and more like His Son. Conform to the likeness of Christ, it says in Romans 8, 29. To resemble Christ more and more. And remember... We're not going to be exactly like Jesus, but it's a process of, of conforming to the likeness of Jesus. We're on a journey of change, and it is not perfection, but direction. We want to be going in the right direction. We're never going to get it perfect here. Now, if we were a Sunday school class, I would say, when are we going to be perfect? What phase of salvation? And you would say, oh, Mr. Gorm, it's phase three. It's glorification. It's glorification, a state of perfection. We don't get that here, okay? Just ask your wife. Just ask your husband. Ask your kids. Ask your brothers. And, no, you're not, you're not perfect. My entire life in the wilderness here in foreign territory is for us to change and then impact our world. Change and impact our world. To live differently. To have a loose grip on the things of the world. To change from an inward focus, all about me, myself, and I, to a God-centered focus. And that's not easy. To change from a flesh dominance to a God dominance. And the thing that we have to do in order to change from a flesh dominance to a God dominance, and we've covered this before, this is review, is to, is to stop feeding the flesh. Remember, the flesh is a voracious eater. The flesh is fed 24-7 in this culture. You're getting all the nourishment you need for your flesh every day. It's coming into you. You have to stand against this. Stop feeding your flesh. It is a flesh battle. And remember this, your flesh demands first place, demands to rule, always wants you to take you back where you came from. The flesh demands to rule. And I have a little picture here of this ugly creature called the flesh. And when we're born again, we're little bitty spirit guys. And we're trying to deal with this monster called the flesh. I got to stop feeding this thing. Heal, boy, heal. I mean, that's how we think we're dealing with this. But remember, we learn something on how to deal with the flesh. How do we deal with the flesh? We starve the flesh. We flee the flesh. Flee the evil desires of youth and, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call upon God out of a clear heart, out of a clean heart. Galatians 5.16 puts it this way. Walk in the Spirit. What does that mean? Live in the Spirit. Give your life over to the Spirit. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not allow your flesh to have dominion. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Remember, you starve the flesh by walking in the Spirit. You can make faith choices instead of emotional choices. And we've had this picture up here so many times. Every day, you're going to have to make a decision. Which road are you going to go down? You're going to go down the wide road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to life. Which one of these roads are you going to go down? You determine this every day, several times a day as you're going through this day. Will I make a flesh decision or will I make a Jesus decision? Am I going to make a spirit-filled decision or a flesh decision? This happens multiple, multiple times during your day. It is not just a once, one-off thing. It happens all the time. And then we have the next picture, which is 
the next, oh, that's it. Okay, you got it, you got it, you're there, you're there. Thank you, Maritza. You were on, I was off. So again, this is just a path, but notice how glitzy the world is. And our flesh is so attracted to this. Pride, greed, lust, envy, sloth, wrath, gluttony. I mean, we want to make this turn so bad. Ooh, I want to go to this way. But this way leads to what? Destruction. This always leads down. The Jesus road always leads up. It's always the best road. Might not look the greatest at the moment, but you make a Jesus choice, you will never be disappointed. You make a flesh choice, you will always be disappointed. That's the point. That's the point. So you will have victories over your old nemesis, your old enemies, the flesh. You will have victories from time to time. Remember, Jesus was tempted three times in the wilderness, and it says in one of the Gospels that Satan came back at a more opportune time. What is an opportune time? When you're tired, hungry, discouraged, depressed. Oh, he looks for those times when he comes to you. And what does he do? He, he, Satan chooses his battles. You must be ready for his schemes. And I'll tell you, he knows exactly what bait works on you. He's been observing you, and he knows that little carrot. Now, this could be a chocolate cupcake for me right here. But he knows that your little carrot, whatever it is, whatever it is, he knows you. He's been watching you. The demonic realm knows exactly what to put out there. Could be food, drugs, sex, gossip, negativity. They know what brings you comfort for the moment. Satan used every conceivable bait, trip on, uh, bait trick on Jesus. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. And Jesus three times said, it is written away from me. And I want to suggest something to you. You have the Holy Spirit resonant within. You have the ability now to make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice. You can say no to the things of the world. You can say no to the things of the flesh. And you can say no to the devil's temptations. And you can even say out loud, because the Spirit of God is in you through His power, away from me, Satan. You have no rights here. You have no purpose here. I belong to King Jesus. I belong to King Jesus. Remember it says in, in James 4, 7, Submit yourself to, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Those are the tools we are to use. Submit is that word hupotasso. Put yourself under the covering of Jesus. And don't walk out from under the covering. Because when you do, that is when the tempter comes and latches on. Stay under the cover. Stay under the protection of our Lord. Now we know that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He had the Spirit of God coming upon him, anointing him for his ministry. And now he's ready for a ministry that changed the world. And the first thing he does in verse 12 is he heads home to Nazareth. Remember the baptism occurred in Judah, in, in Judea, at the, at the Jordan River. So he came from Nazareth down to, the, down to the Jordan River, was baptized by John, and he spent some time there. We'll cover that in just a second. Verse 12. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And that's all that Matthew says. He just makes a statement. But there's a lot that has happened here. We will see. So why now? Why at this time does he head home at this juncture? Because John is finished with his ministry. John was a forerunner. He's imprisoned, awaiting to have his head lopped off by Herod. 
Stanley Toussaint helps us with this. Quote, In royal protocol, the king does not make his appearance in public until the forerunner has finished his work. John has finished his work. John will go off the scene. John was very popular. He had a huge following. He had to become less as Jesus became greater. And it's interestingly here that Matthew does not mention Jesus' first full year of ministry in Judea. But John does. But John does. Now watch the map up here. Now this is Matthew's ministry. None of the Gospels cover all the ministries that Jesus, all the things that Jesus did. They're all a little bit different. Matthew skips a year here, four months, eight months of the Judean ministry. This is covered by John, but not by Matthew. Matthew picks it up. Next week, you'll see he will uh, call his 12 disciples officially in Galilee. But that is an important thing to remember. There's a whole year that Matthew doesn't talk about. He, Jesus had many disciples, a plethora of people that were following him in Judea. Even some of the disciples that we knew as the 12, but weren't officially called until Galilee. There was a couple, Nathan and somebody else that was called, and he mentions them down in Judea, but their official calling comes in Galilee, and we'll see that next week. So the first year, John still had work to do to introduce the Judean countryside to the Messiah, that Jesus would become greater and greater, and John had to become less and less important. Now, I want you to think about something. This is a handoff of ministry because John had a ministry before Jesus did. There's kind of a handoff. Jesus is the pinnacle. John was simply introducing, but John had to be set aside so that Jesus would have no competitors. Nobody's saying, I'm a John the Baptist follower. I'm a Jesus. No, there's no competing church. There's no competitors. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the top. But think about this, an important point. In every generation, God raises up servants to follow other servants. Very important concept. And when the, when the handoff comes, they are not competitors, but complementers. That is an important concept, working towards the same goal. What is that goal? To glorify God. To do the Father's will. To do the Father's will. There's no room in ministry where my dog's bigger than your dog. I'm more important than you. We got these two little cute guys here. And there's always a fight. Who's going to be the biggest? Who's going to be the most important? Hey, the handoff comes, and there's no jealousy. There's no my dog is bigger than your dog. There is simply a smooth handoff. And that is good. you'll see that more in just a second. Remember, your flesh wants to be top dog. Your flesh wants to be noticed. Have you ever had these words or these thoughts in your own mind? I have. Maybe you have. Why they get the promotion? Why, I'm more qualified than them. Can't you people out there see that I'm more qualified than that guy? Can't you see that I'm more suited for, those, for this job? Can't you see it? I can see it. No, yeah. yeah the principle is this. Those who self-promote are oftentimes demoted. Don't self-promote. Allow God to promote you. Everyone has their time, and there is a time for the next person to step forward and the other leader to step aside and to facilitate the transition. When it's done smoothly, it glorifies God. Every leader, hear these words, these are very strong words, every leader should 
must prepare for their successor. Every leader has a time. Now, this doesn't mean I'm stepping down or anything like that, but this is part of this teaching. Someday I will, okay? But not now. There's a time to pass the baton, and there must be a smooth handoff. Have you ever seen the race when they're racing and they're fumbling, and it's either smooth or it's, or it's a fumble, and it's a mess, and they lose the race? We want a smooth handoff in ministry. And that is facilitated by a good attitude by the one leaving, encouraging the one coming in. That is very important. Very important. Too many people cling on to their leadership position and refuse to move on. God ordains a change. It's time for the change. Now, Jesus finished his mission. Or Jesus is going to accomplish his mission. John is off the scene and he finished his. His forerunner job is done. He did a terrific job. A terrific job. And now Jesus is going to start his Galilean ministry. In 13a, I'm going to actually read 13 twice, okay? There's going to be a 13a and a 13b. Jesus is going to have a surprise homecoming. Now remember, he's been gone a year. He's been gone a year in, in, in Judea. Verse 13, and leaving Nazareth, now he's gone home to Nazareth. See, he's been in Judea and gone home to Nazareth. He came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. Now, some things you need to know. Jesus originally left Nazareth to head down to the Jordan River to be baptized. He was known as the carpenter's son. He was known as brother and sister of, of whoever his brothers and sisters were. James and Jude, no, those, those are the two at least mentioned. He was known just, you're my brother, you're my sister, nothing, you're not that big a deal, Jesus. Not in this family. Mary knew, but the rest of them were kind of skeptical of Jesus. He left as the carpenter's son, and he returned one year later as the promised Messiah. Now, he, there's no telegraph, there's no telephone, there's no information coming from Judea up to Galilee saying, hey, the Messiah's here, look at all the things he's doing down in Judea. None of that's happening. None of these people know what's going on. All they know is that Jesus, the one who left a year ago, is coming back. He shows up, and he, actually, and he says he's the Messiah, and the homies don't like it. The home folks don't like it. Matthew does not record this, but Luke does. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 29, you'll see the whole story. I don't have time to go over the whole thing, so I'll give you the short version. It goes like this. He opens the scroll, starting in verse 16. I'll read a little bit of it. So he came to Nazareth. He goes home where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. And on the Sabbath day, he stood and he read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And then Jesus opens the book to a specific place speaking about him. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord, capital L, capital O-R-D, Yahweh is upon me. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and anointed and anointed me, empowered him for, for this mission, to preach the gospel to the poor, to the helpless. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who are in satanic bondage, and recovery of sight to the blind, both physically and spiritually, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then Jesus closes the book, The Carpenter's Son. They say, hear him saying this about himself. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
Now watch the response to this. The immediate response is gracious words in Luke 4.22. They marvel at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But that was short-lived. Because you know what happens in any spiritual moment. There are always spiritual forces that are at work. The demonic realm is at work stirring up the folks. And that shortly this becomes doubt and criticism. And I can just hear this. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the one that played with my kids? They played kickball together. They played hide-and-go-seek together. you telling me you're the Messiah? You have to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. And Jesus' response is this. No prophet is accepted in his own country in 424, Luke 424. You know, the Jewish people today do not believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The rest of the world doesn't acknowledge him as the Messiah. Oh, he's a great man. He's a prophet. He's a great teacher. But he's not the Messiah. He's not the Son of God. But Christians acknowledge him. Christians are the ones that see the truth. Jesus is going to give these people two examples. And he's going to give two examples of Gentiles that have favor with God. Even though these people had disfavored him, he's going to show that God has favored the Gentiles, people whom the Jews despise. Despise. Jesus grinded them. Remember, Jesus was not into people-pleasing. Jesus was not into people-pleasing. Paul was not into people-pleasing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, hear what Paul says. We have been approved by God. Speaking of us, people that have, are saved, we've been approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. Watch these words. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. We're not here to please men. We're not here to be men pleasers. This isn't here. This is an entertainment session. This isn't for you to go out and feel like this is your, your, your just, yeah, the most cheery, wonderful time. And I was entertained with the smoke and the magic. The guy did magic. It was so cool. That is not why you're here. You're here to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and how to live out this Christian life. That's why you're here. We're not here to people please, but to God please. And he gives these two examples, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, that he provides the food and he raises the widow's son. And then he gives Elijah and Naaman, the Gentile that, that, had, that had leprosy and he's healed. Now watch the response. When he gives these two Gentile examples they were outraged. Remember, the Gentiles are dogs, and you're giving this example, acting like they are better than us. This is a supreme insult to them. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Who is he to speak like this? Who are you to speak on behalf of Christ to our country, to our nation? Outraged, they led Jesus to a hill, and watch this. They planned to throw him down over the hill. They wanted to kill Jesus then. Kill him then. And then what does Jesus do? He does his Jesus thing. His Jesus thing. It was a miracle. He passed through the midst of them and he went his way in chapter 4, verse 30. It was not Jesus' time. No one would take Jesus' life. No one would take his life. Now let me ask you a question. Who's in charge? Was that mob in charge? Were the anarchists in charge? Were the lawless people in charge? Oh no, our God is in charge. It is in His time. It's His time. Christ is in charge. And no one could touch Christ before His time. And by the way, no one can touch 
you before your time. You know what that does for me? As I bite my fingernails and I watch what's going around in the world, I get this message, stop worrying. If no one can touch you, so stop worrying. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Stop worrying. It's a useless thing. We can rest in the arms of our God knowing he's in charge, even even though we see our world changing around us. Worrying, fretting, anxiety, fearfulness are a waste of time. God says, do not worry. Listen to this. Chuck Missler says this. Worry is assuming a responsibility God did not intend you to have. How many times did he say, don't worry about the number of hairs on your head. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry in in Matthew chapter 6 or 7. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Stop worrying. Somebody said this. I don't know who who the author is, but I think it's pretty good. Worry is a trickle of fear that soon cuts a crevice so deep it drains all other thoughts away. Isn't that the truth? A crevice. Worry. Worry, a trickle of fear. A trickle of fear that just penetrates into your being and drains everything else away except that thing that you're worrying about. What does God say? Stop worrying. Stop worrying. Worry is a flesh thing, not a spirit thing. So stop it. That is what God says to us. And I think we dishonor God when we worry. And and that's coming from somebody that's got the worry gene. Okay, I can make things up to worry about. As you know, I've shared this before. So it's something I have to work on continually. Worry is a flesh thing, not a spirit thing, so stop it. And guess what? When you get to heaven, you will never hear the word worry, fear, anxiety, trepidation, Thelispus crushings. You won't ever hear any of those words. That will not be in the heavenly vocabulary. And I can say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. Now, Jesus is rejected by his home folks. And it's time for a change. In 13b, he he, he develops a a new place, a, a home base, a new home base. I'll read 13 again. He left Nazareth, came down and dwelt in Capernaum. That's his new headquarters, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, which, by the way, are Gentile Jewish areas, a mixture. Jesus left, or he forsook Nazareth. He established a new home base in Capernaum, but there's something he's looking for. He's looking for friendlies. Friendlies. Friendlies were there. This is the home of Matthew. This is the home of Peter and Andrew. He's going to find friendlies there. And listen to this. When you are rejected, when you have a time in your life where people are coming down on you, there's a time to move on to find friendlies. You want to find friendlies. Jesus could have been discouraged by this rejection. They tried to kill him. I mean, do you think you'd be a little discouraged in your ministry just starting out? You go to your hometown where you think you're going to have favor and they want to kill you right out of the chute? Tell me that isn't a demonic thing. He wasn't the least bit intimidated. And I think that's a great lesson for us, folks, because when you believe in Jesus Christ, your family might not be so happy about your decision. Your friends, your old friends, aren't going to be so happy that you changed. Your workplace, and I'll tell you, 
The government isn't so happy that you made the change and came into the kingdom of God. Following Jesus, they won't like your change. Remember, Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. So don't take the rejection personally. Just realize who you belong to. Different kings, different kingdoms. You could have been discouraged. Following, uh, think about this. When you follow the Lord Jesus, you will cause, there will be a natural result of division. Division will occur. Man, and it'll occur all over the place. It'll occur in your workplace. It'll occur in, you know, as, as our government, we have this uh, division in our country today that is so stark. And Christians are very much the outliers and the ones that are the cause of all the trouble. Uh, that's how you're looked at. Because you can't do or conduct yourself in a manner that is the way the world wants you to do. You can't buy into gay marriage. You can't buy into open borders. You can't buy into transgenderism. Why? Because it's a sin. It's a sin against God. We can't do that. We can't do that. But they, they want us to walk lockstep with it and just buy into the whole thing. We can't. We can't. We're not intolerant. We're simply followers of our Savior. Followers of our Savior. Watch what Jesus says about division. Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. You're very familiar with this. This has to do with a family, the most intimate unit where there will be division. Or I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her father-in-law. Why the division? You know the answer to this. Different kingdoms. Different kings. Different values. A different worldview. A different lifestyle. Different goals. This is a fact. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and you're really serious about it, it will cause division and rejection in your life. And I think that it's happening more and more in our country that even families are divided. More and more. Expect rejection. More so as our country grows darker and darker. Where will you go to find friendlies? And I hope you know the answer to that. You turn to the true church. There's a, there's a church out there. There's a universal church, but it's not all the true church. You want to turn to the true church where you know the word is being taught. Friendlies in the true church. And that's the reason we meet together to encourage one another even more as we see the day approaching, as it says in Hebrews 10. It's essential. Essential to find friendlies. To find friendlies. Now, Jesus is a Jewish Messiah in verse 14 through 16, but he is the Messiah of the entire world. Watch this. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Watch what happens when Jesus shows up. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. The true light that gives light to every man coming into the world, John 1, 9. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus, wherever he steps, there is light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Hear this and hear this loud and clear. God does not play favorites. How do I know? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The world, the cosmos. And this is a quote of John, uh, excuse me, of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. 
Galilee of the Gentiles. I want you to know something. In God's economy, either you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. That's it. The two have been brought together with Messiah. But those two economies, what exist? What is a Gentile? The word is ethnos. It means the nations, the Gentile people. And Jesus is the light of the world to all ethnos, Jew, Gentile, to everybody. And again, Galilee is, is a mixed multitude of Jews and Gentiles. And notice that Jesus just doesn't get his headquarters in a safe place. He strategically has his, his headquarters located in a melting pot of people where he can minister to the most. He wanted to be where the action is. And I would suggest to you today as a Christian that you do not withdraw into an isolated, comfortable spot. That you find your little, little safe place. Oh no, this is the time for Christians to be involved in their world. Let your light shine. Have the courage to impact the world. Tell the people about Jesus. Now, what are we going to tell them? Well, Jesus is going to tell us, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, Jesus began to preach. Remember the word caruso, herald truth. Every one of us has the responsibility to caruso, herald the truth to the people around us. Truth, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now remember, Matthew is talking to a Jewish audience. The other gospels say kingdom of God. The Jewish people hold God's name in high esteem. Hashem, the name. They don't use the name of God. So he's being sensitive to his audience by saying the kingdom of heaven. That's just a repeat of what we've said in the past. Now remember, Jesus has been in Judea. He had a one-year ministry there. And you know what he did there for the year? He did the following, some of the following. First of all, he cleansed the temple, threw out the money changers. Remember that? Cast the leaven out of Father's house. He goes back up to Galilee, makes wine at the Feast of Canaan, and then he comes back down to Nazareth, and he has an appointment to meet with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, Oh, dear Master, we know that you're a great teacher. And Jesus goes right through the fluff and tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, forget all that. Pharisee of Pharisees, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is just blown away. What do you mean born again? And Jesus said, that is which is born of the Spirit is of the Spirit. And that's which is born of the flesh is flesh. You must be born again, Nicodemus. That's the reason we use that vernacular, being born again. Having a new birth, having life coming into you through the Holy Spirit. We're born dead in our trespasses and sins. Jesus had an active ministry there for a year, and then he goes up to Galilee for his public ministry. Jesus' message is repent. Repent is the word metanoia, and it means change your mind. Change your thinking about who Jesus is. Turn around. Now, hear this, because this is an important point. Not that the other stuff isn't so important, but I really want you to hear this. What Jesus is offering the Jewish people here is an offer of the kingdom to the Jewish people. Remember our Daniel study. We had 70 weeks that were given to, to Daniel, to his people, and to the holy city. The time frame was cut off at the 69th week when Messiah was killed. The Jewish nation was put on hold. 
This is Jesus' offer to them to have the 70th week now. Now, they're going to reject it. I think it's all part of God's plan. I mean, God knew that. But this, this, this kingdom is offered. It was rejected. John 1.11 says this. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. The kingdom offer had its final rejection in Matthew chapter 12.24, when the Pharisees said that Jesus cast out demons through the power of Satan. This is called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we've heard about this, and everybody bites their nails, afraid that they, they've done the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This is a sin for the nation of Israel's leadership, of rejecting Messiah, ascribing the works of Jesus to the devil. This was a final rejection of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the Jewish leadership and its people. They've rejected, they've been set aside for a time. God will re-engage them in the tribulation period when we are extracted as the church. We've been through this numerous times in our Revelation study. From Matthew 13 on, Jesus speaks to the people in parables. Those things that are like, what? What, 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 you, what are you saying there, Jesus? He, he, he wants people to dig and to search for the truth. We are to prepare ourselves, folks. Prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming kingdom. And the way we prepare is to tell every human possible, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Repent. Turn to Christ. Turn now. There's an urgency to it. Now, closing thoughts on a ministry that changed the world and changed me, all of us. Every believer is on a truth mission. You're living in a world that is not into truth. Have you, I hope you've seen that. You have discovered that. Yes, every believer. Our message is clear. Repent, saying Jesus is our only hope. Turn to the truth. That's what repentance is. Now, Jesus is telling us the truth. He's telling us that repent, turn, and live. Hear, what, hear Jesus on the truth. In John chapter 18, 37 and 38, Jesus is talking to Pilate. He's been beaten. He's, he's, and Pilate's asking him, are you a king? And the narrative starts in verse 37. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, oh, you say rightly, I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I came into the world. Jesus knew who he was. King of kings and Lord of lords. The world didn't know that. Jesus knows that. That I should bear witness to the truth. See, Jesus was not going to live by lies. He wasn't going to fall into what the Pharisees had to say. We do not live out our lives here living by lies. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. And then Pilate says these words to him that echoes through the epochs of time. What is truth? And that is echoing through our world today. What is truth? We are living in a world void of truth, folks. Void of truth, where people make up their truth in their own minds. A world where people just make it up. You know what truth is? Truth is what actually is, not what we make up. It's what actually is. 
Now, we know that the Scripture tells us what truth is. And everything must be measured in this world with Scripture. Some people may speak the truth, and some people may pretend they're speaking the truth. Our jobs as truth seekers, as truth followers, Jesus followers, is to compare what they are saying with the truth of the Word of God. Absolute essential. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. John 14, 6. He says, Thy word is truth. This word is truth. John 17, 17. And then we know the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Three entities that are truth, all expressed in his word. That is how we know what the truth is. And folks, I believe there's a truth crisis in our country and in our world today. We are inundated, as you know, by half-truth and lies. We are inundated with good is evil, and evil is called good, and they want you to buy into it. And if you don't, they want you banished. That's what's happening. And the majority of the church in America has bought into this in order to not feel the discomfort of being different. We have to feel the discomfort to live not by lies. Remember, that was Alexander Solzhenitsyn saying, live not by lies. Rod Dreyer wrote a whole book about it. Now, if you're looking for the truth, where do people look for the truth in our culture today? You know what they do? They go to the newspapers. Well, that must be the truth. Or they're watching the news. If you ever want to see a bunch of fabricated makeup, just watch the news. How about newspapers, magazines, internet? Now, you can find some truth in these places, but it always has to be compared with the Word of God. How about Hollywood? Somebody's always bringing up a Hollywood entertainer. I could care less what Brad Pitt has to say. I don't care one whit about what he says. Okay, yeah. Hollywood, no. Politicians, no, 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 no. That's for sure. University professors, no. When your kids go off to university, teach them right off the bat, fight for the truth. Fight for the truth. You're going to be told lies over and over and over. Fight for the truth. Prepare them. Good being evil and evil good. Remember, when I say there is no truth, it has to be compared with the word. Everything we get is compared with the word. Truth must be judged by the truth source, and that's his word. Look, we don't get the truth from a president. I don't care who it is. We don't get it from our, we definitely don't get it from congressmen and congresswomen. You can just eliminate them right off the bat. Professors, your friends, your families. But you know what else you have to check out? Pastors, teachers of the word. Make sure that they are saying what is written in this book. You are to be a Berean and search the scriptures to make sure that I am on track. And when I'm off track, what do you do? That's right. You, you, that's not right, Rick. Where are you going with that? Yes, that's what you're supposed to do. But does it match up with God's word? It isn't the truth. Remember this. The truth will make you free. And he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We belong to the freedom fighter, the Lord Jesus who set us free. Turn to him. Freedom, folks, is in a person. It's in Jesus Christ, not in our situation. See, Christians, no matter what they do to you, no matter what ideology they try to pump into you, no matter if you have to go to prison, shunning, banishment, all the indoctrination of the world cannot change who you are 
because they cannot change our thoughts, our souls, and our spirits. Freedom is in a person, Jesus Christ, nothing in our, not in our situation. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I don't care what ideology is being pumped into you. Nothing. Knowing the truth, folks, is freeing. Is freeing. Romans 8, 35-39. You've heard these verses all through your Christian life. But this is going to become more and more important as we see the days grow darker and change in our country. Watch this. Paul lived through the changes in his country. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, you know that word, thelispus, crushings, distress, you know what distress is? That pressed in feeling that you get from this world, that pressed in feeling, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. You're not going to hear this in 99% of the churches. This isn't your most uplifting language, is it? This isn't your best life now. This is you denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Messiah. There will be a cost to that. Yet all, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Notice the language here. In all this stuff that can we are more than conquerors. How? Through him. That's where our strength in who loved us. For I am persuaded, and hopefully we are all persuaded in here, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, we don't know what's coming, nor things to come, nor height or depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm telling you, that is the truth. Truth. Indelibly imprint that on your brains. Put it right here. If you want to get a tattoo, put it right here. Truth. <laughs> Jesus is truth. You want to get one? That's a good one. That's all I'm saying. Truth. Let it be indelibly imprinted upon us. Jesus had a ministry that changed you and changed me. Why did he change us? That the world may know who he is. That the world may know that I belong to Jesus Christ. And the changed me, the real changed me, will not fit in with this world. It's going to be contrary to the direction of our world. Folks, I want to encourage you. Follow the truth. Remember that sign. Truth. Live not by lies, brothers and sisters. Speak your truth in a culture that's running from the truth. Live not by lies. You must know that we are being inundated with lies. Prepare yourself to stand. Represent our Lord and finish strong. Now, the reason I'm emphasizing this, and you've heard me speak on this multiple, multiple times, but listen to this. People are dropping out of true Christendom left and right. It's too uncomfortable. There's too much pressure to stand. I would just as soon capitulate to the narrative that's going on in the culture and just kind of blend in so they leave us alone. Just like the church in Nazi Germany. The majority, leave us alone. There was a few Bonhoeffers that stood up. But the majority says, we're just going to blend and just go along because we don't want to cause any trouble in the culture. I'm not saying we're to be troublemakers, but we are to stand for the truth. To stand for the truth. People are dropping out left and right. It's called deconstructing your faith. We call it, we used to, we call it backsliding in the past. Now they have a fancy deconstructing. 
or losing their faith. I don't think they ever had the faith. Proverbs 24.10 says this, If you faint in the day of adversity, true church, your strength is small. Let's talk about truth here. The truth is it's easy to stay home. It is. It's easy to stay home. It's easy to, to watch somebody on TV that's really a great speaker. That's okay if you, if you can't get out and be part of a body. God wants you part of a body. It's easy to stay home. It's easy to do what I want to do on a Sunday. It's easy to do my, my thing. It's easy, folk, to be deceived. It's easy, folks, to be distracted and not involved in a body. And I want to say this loud and clear. This final stretch that we're on right now in our world and in this country, we are going towards globalism at rocket speed. We are, it's rocket speed. The final stretch will not be easy. Only those with Holy Spirit grit will burst through the finish line. The Holy Spirit, as Donald Barnhouse said, the rod of iron up your spine that allows you to stand against the winds of adversity. What is grit? Well, if you watch the John Wayne movie, True Grit, you get a little idea. But this isn't very clear, but it's, it's bravery. The word pluck means uncommon courage. Metal, backbone, spirit, strength of character, etc. And I love this. Just sums it up. Guts and spunk. Guts and spunk. That's what we need. Guts and spunk. May you be like that bull in the blizzard. I didn't put him up again this week. Who finishes strong and stand for the truth. Folks, I'm encouraging you to have some grit. Have some grit. Ephesians 6.13, talking about the army of, armor of God, says, Having done all to stand. Get your gospel shoes on. Dig them in with those little spikes. Take your stand. Remember that lineman? He's down like it. But anyway, you take your stand and not be moved. Have some grit. Stand against all odds. And listen to this. You know this to be true. You who are in workplaces that are facing losing your jobs. You know this to be true. Sometimes you have to stand for what you believe alone. Just like this little guy right here against this whole army of chess pieces. You'll be alone. Are you really alone? No, you are never alone. You and God are a majority. Dig in, have some grit, and stand. This next guy had some grit. Watch this. This is called Tank Man. This is Tiananmen Square when these tanks are rolling in. Now, let me give you a little background here on Tank Man. Listen to this. Watch. In 1989, in Beijing, the Chinese people rose up in rebellion against the government, against the tyranny of the government. Million people are marching in Beijing, in Tiananmen Square. They, that was 32 years ago. The identity of this guy is still a mystery. Tank Man did this. He was a regular citizen in Beijing. He had seen the slaughter the day before of up to 10,000 men, women, and children in Tiananmen Square. The Chinese government says 300. The word has leaked out from that false government or that lying government 
up to 10,000 people were shot in the back, shot in the head, and killed. This is the next day that this guy does this. So their students, workers, children's doctors, pastors, buyers are dead, shot in the back. According to the film footage, as witnesses said this, he was walking alone along a six-lane highway, holding a shopping bag. He sees the tanks, and then he decides to do something. See, judge, act. And this guy right here, won't move. This tank goes this way. You see the video goes this way. He walks right in front of it. The tank stops. He climbs up on the tank and he starts yelling at the guys in the tank. And then these guys stop. Now, you don't know the rest of the story. The Chinese government knew that its generals and its people would have a difficult time killing its own people, even in China. So they had a regiment of what we would call, they had a different name for it, but I'm just for lack of, a, of remembering the name, dog soldiers. Those ones who would be absolutely loyal to Mao no matter what. And as that regiment that came in, that did the shooting, that's what these guys are. Hardened, communist, do anything you tell us to do, and this guy stands all by himself. There were generals that refused the order and were executed. Several army units refused the order, but the dog soldiers went out, and they killed with impunity. This guy acted. This guy put feet. I don't know if he was a Christian or not. No one knows whatever happened to him. Some believe he went to Taiwan. Some believe he was executed. And I would suggest he was probably executed by the Chinese. May you be that bull in the blizzard, folks. Jesus had a ministry that changed the world and me. And you know what? It took grit for Jesus to do that. It took grit. Jesus took his stand alone. When he died on the cross, there was John and the women. His disciples abandoned him. Jesus was on the cross alone. Now it is our time, folks. God has placed us here for this time. You're not here in 2021 by accident. This is our time to stand. It's our time to stand with the Holy Spirit power, with Holy Spirit grit. So what are we going to do? Stand. Stand. And I want to show you this pawn one more time. Stand. Don't move. Keep your eyes on this guy for just a second. Man and women, men and women of God here, men and women of grit, stand for the truth. You can because Jesus changed you. You can stand because he changed you. Choose the Jesus road. Remember, there's roads that you're going to have to choose. Choose the Jesus road. Choose the narrow road and stand with grit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us to study your word. We thank you that our Messiah came to die for the sins of the world. We thank you for the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how he took his stand. How he has left the Spirit of God with us that empowers us to do that very thing. We can't do that on our own. We need your strength, Lord. We need one another to encourage one another as we see the day approaching. May we be men and women of courage. May we know whom we have, whom we have believed. Jesus had a ministry that changed the world and changed me. 
Now may I do what he has called me to do, the will of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.